When was the last time you were reminded of the gospel? I mean, hopefully just then when we heard that song. Uh, But apart from that, when was the last time that you remember just sitting and being reminded of the gospel? Uh, This past week, my wife and I had a friend over uh, for dinner, and I was talking about some things that I was frustrated with myself about, both at work uh, and in parenting. And uh, and my friend patiently uh, listened to me, uh, but when when I finished talking, Uh, She kindly and compassionately said, Zach, you know you aren't taking the gospel into consideration, don't you? And then she simply told me the gospel. She reminded me that I needed Jesus not just to be my teacher and my example, but to be my savior, that he loved me enough to die for me, that he didn't just come primarily to help me, but to rescue me. And if he did that, he doesn't now expect me to get it all right on my own. I needed him before I knew I needed him and that I need him now, even though I know now that I needed him. And at the time I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, of course, of course, I know the gospel. Uh, I'm a preacher, Uh, but I didn't really mean it. I was still very frustrated with myself about a lot of things. But then the next day I started thinking about what she said and I remembered the gospel and it was like this weight lifted it hit me how badly I needed to hear the gospel. Even as someone who who spends their whole life talking about the gospel, I needed to hear it. I needed to receive it. I needed to remember it. Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, said we need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily or else we'll forget it. So the question is, when was the last time you were reminded of the gospel? The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Galatians that's all about the importance of the gospel. That the gospel is not only the way to enter into the kingdom of God, but it's the way to bring about the kingdom of God. Pastor Tim Keller says the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A through Z of Christianity. It's all about the gospel. Everything that we do finds its significance and and worth inside the gospel. The gospel isn't just something we believe in, it's, it's how we live. And so Paul writes this letter to the Galatians to, to remind them of this importance. Because it's not as simple as it sounds. It's not easy. It's why Martin Luther says we have to preach the gospel to ourselves daily, because if we don't, we really will forget it daily. And this is a problem that that isn't that isn't new, it's existed since the gospel itself was a thing. The reason Paul writes this letter that we're gonna spend the next several weeks looking at is, is because it's so easy and, qui- and it's so easy for us and, and we can quickly forget the gospel or we can change it. Galatians was probably the earliest letter that Paul wrote to the early church, or at least it's the, it's the oldest letter that we have included in our Bible. And it was probably, it was written maybe as early as the late 40s AD. So we're talking about a decade, maybe a decade, maybe a little more, maybe a little less after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul is upset in this letter. And what's he upset about? That the gospel has been forgotten already, that it's already been changed. So let's look at it together. Let's read Galatians 1. Um, I'm going to read the first nine verses. If you don't have a Bible, it's printed on the back of your bulletin. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, 
grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. This is God's word. So 10 years, maybe only 10 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, the early church is struggling with the gospel. Paul says they're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. We have got to get the gospel right, because if we don't, there's no partial credit. Half a gospel is no gospel at all. And if we're going to follow the call of God that he's placed on us as this church specifically, as Summit Church, we, in order to be able to do that, we have to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. We can't forget it and we cannot change it because the gospel is not only the way we enter the kingdom of God, it is the way we bring about the kingdom of God in our city. Back in the 1730s, there was a small group of believers who changed the world. And they really did change the world. And part of this group was led uh, by two brothers, John and Charles Wesley, who would later go on to establish the Methodist Church. But in the, in the late 1730s, hundreds of thousands of people came to Christ. Churches were popping up all over the place. It was an explosion of Christianity here in America and also in Europe. It's a time that many historians refer to as the Great Awakening. And it all started with a small group of people that were desperately seeking God. One of the people in this group was named William Holland, and, and William got a hold of a commentary on Galatians by Martin Luther. And in the preference to the commentary, Martin Luther distills the message of Paul to the Galatians, which essentially the whole message of the book, what we're going to see over and over again over the next several weeks, is that it's important to tell and retell the gospel to ourselves. So William Holden grabbed Charles Wesley and a few others, and he said, hey, let's read the preface aloud to each other. And then this is what he wrote in his journal happened as, as that preface was being read aloud. He said, Mr. Charles Wesley read the preface aloud. At the words, which these are the words that Luther wrote, at the words, what? Have we then nothing to do? No, nothing but only to accept of him, Jesus Christ, who God has made our righteousness. He said, at those words, there came such power over me that I cannot well describe. My great burden fell off in an instant. My heart was so filled with peace and love, I burst into tears. I almost thought I saw our Savior. My companions, perceiving me so affected, fell on their knees and prayed. When afterwards I went into the street, I could scarcely feel the ground I trod upon. This was a turning point for William Holland's life. And what had he heard? The gospel distilled that Jesus did everything necessary in order for him to be right before a holy God. What have we then nothing to do? No, nothing. 
but only to accept of him Jesus Christ who God has made our righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. He heard the, the gospel clearly is, is not what you do for God, but what God has done for you and Jesus Christ. And then after that, he says he went around to as many different people's homes as he could and he brought Luther's commentary and he set them down. And he said, can I read something to you? See, the distilled message of Galatians fueled the great awakening, and I believe it's what will fuel us. And if you've never read Luther's commentary, um, I highly recommend it. Um, Paul Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, said, I do prefer this book of Mr. Luther upon the Galatians, accepting the Holy Bible before all other books that I have ever read. It's a good book. Don't skip the preface. Uh, but back to the text for today. So, uh, so we're in Galatians, and, and I've always been one to just kind of move past the intros to the letter. Uh, but, but this week I decided I'm just going to sit in these first few words uh, that Paul writes. Uh, and I really do think it's the perfect letter for us to study after we spent an entire year in the life of Jesus. Uh, because it really does show us, all right, what does it look like now in light of what Jesus did, in light of the life that Jesus lived? What does it look like for us now to fully live into what God had in mind? when he thought up Summit. And I believe Paul, in his introduction, sets us up for success. Because in his introduction, he shows us that we have strength in our source and we have strength in our message. And this will be important for us to get in order to take the kind of risk that God has called us to. So first of all, what's our source? Well, Paul says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Our source, like Paul, is the will of God, not man. This has profound implications for us. See, Paul is not an apostle because of his record. He's an apostle because it's God's will. Do you know who Paul was before Jesus interrupted his life? He was a self-righteous, obnoxiously religious man who joyfully persecuted Jesus' followers. And yet Paul could still be an apostle. An apostle is one that speaks for God. Why could he be that? Because it was God's will. This should be so encouraging to us. I don't care what you've done or where you've been. You can be used by God. God's will for your life, God's will and calling for you supersedes your sin. You and I, we can say with certainty, I matter and what I do matters. Because when a person believes that he or she has been called from darkness into light by a power greater than any challenge that this world brings, there's a confidence that we get. Paul would later write in Ephesians 5, 8, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. See, when your purpose and calling is not your own doing, it's not something that you thought up. It's not something that you desire in and of yourself, but it's God's will. There's a confidence that says, no matter the challenge I face, it is no match for God's plan. So Paul begins the letter by showing us that there is strength in our source. During the question and answer time that we have after the Thursday night service, someone recently asked me, how do you know God's will? And maybe, maybe you're thinking that. Maybe even this year you've thought, all right, this year I'm gonna be all about God's will and I've been praying and it doesn't seem clear. Um, and, and I think one of the important things for us as we seek God's will is are we going back to the scripture? And are we reading it and discussing it in community? 
as, as a church, our understanding and living out what Galatians teaches, it needs each of our voices to add to that discussion, not just my voice. This is why it's so important not to just study scripture in isolation, but together, because I believe scripture is the clearest and most effective way that God makes his will known to us, but he speaks even louder when we're studying the scripture together. So if you start off this year and you really wanna know God's will and you're struggling to know God's will, get in a group and study Galatians. Do you know how to face a challenge greater than yourself? What would you do if you believed God had a purpose for you that was greater than anything you could accomplish on your own? Paul says we have strength in our source, God's will. We know that Jesus has ushered in a new kingdom and he's gonna change the world and he's gonna use people like us. He's done it throughout all of history. So what would it look like for us to make the most of our place in history? Last week, we laid out our plan as a church when it comes to serving locally, uh, serving, serving our city, and, and we said we're committed to supporting the systems and structures and relationships that so, serve vulnerable children. Um, now, I don't do this very often. I don't normally say, if you weren't here, you need to go back and listen, um, because what I said was so important, but it actually was so important. So you need to go back and listen uh, this week, because if you're going to be all in here, what we talked about last week really is setting the trajectory for the next several years. We really do believe that God has placed us here in our city at this time with the people that he's brought to make up this church family with the skills that we have to come along and serve vulnerable children. We want every child in our city to know that they, are, they matter and they are loved and that is an ambitious calling. But if it's God's will and it is, no challenge is a match for God's plan. Um, and just, uh, just a, a side note, uh, Colonial High School uh, has some soccer games coming up. They don't have any more home games, uh, but they have one on Tuesday night. I know I mentioned that last week. So if you want to go to a soccer game on Tuesday night, it's happening at Boone High School uh, at 730. Their, their, their colors are black and red. I think as many of us should show up at that soccer game as possible, that we can start taking that step. But I know some of us don't know our purpose because we dismiss it because the challenge seems too overwhelming. We think surely that's not, that's not the work God created me to do because I'm not sure how I could even make a dent in that problem. How many times have we turned away from God's will because we expect too little of him? Or maybe it's because we expect too much from ourselves. So Paul says there's strength in our source, the will of God, but there's also strength in the message, the gospel. Paul is an apostle and as an early church planner faced challenge after challenge. Not only was he called to the, to the Gentile culture, a pagan culture uh, that was constantly hostile towards him, but as we will see in this letter, uh, he had these Jewish converts, these people who, who had always thought they were God's special people with all kinds of prejudices against the Gentiles. They didn't want them to be a part of what God was doing in that early church. So Paul faced challenge after challenge. So what kept Paul going? I think he never lost sight of how distant and opposed to the gospel his own heart was. I think the greatest witness to Paul of the great power of the gospel was its claim on his own heart. Paul preached and re-preached the gospel to himself daily because he knew that was, that's what changed him. The breakthrough came when Paul discovered that Christianity was not about what he could do for God, but it was about what God had done for him in Jesus Christ. 
So when was the last time you were reminded of what God did for you in Jesus Christ? Harry Ironside was an evangelist in the early 1900s, and he said this, the gospel proves itself by what it does. We hear a great deal about the need of a new gospel for a new age, but the old gospel still works and works in power. When men and women believe it and receive it in their hearts, they become new creatures in Christ Jesus. That was the early 1900s. We still hear that today. We need a new gospel for a new age. No, the old one works just fine. In fact, it's the only thing that works. And Harry Ironside really believed this. One time he was preaching outdoors in San Francisco when this famous atheist approached him and handed him a card and he read the card aloud. And the card said, sir, I challenge you to a debate with me around the question atheism versus Christianity in the Academy of Science Hall next Sunday afternoon at four o'clock. After Ironside read the card aloud, he replied this way. He said, I am very much interested in this challenge. Therefore, I will be glad to agree to this debate on the following conditions. Namely, in order to prove that there is something worth fighting for and worth debating about, my opponent will promise to bring with him to the hall next Sunday two people. One man who was for years what we would commonly call a down and outer, a man who for years was under the power of evil habits from which he could not deliver himself, but who on some occasion heard the glorification of atheism and his denunciations of the Bible and Christianity and whose heart and mind as he listened to such an address were so deeply stirred that he went away from the meeting saying, henceforth, I too am an atheist. And as a result of accepting that particular philosophy, found that a new power had come into his life. The sins he once loved, he now hates. And the righteousness and goodness are now no longer just ideals of his life. They're a part of his life. All because he is an atheist. He then said also to bring along a woman who was similarly, similarly delivered from a corrupt living by the power of unbelief. Ironside said, if you will supply these two individuals, I will bring with me at least a hundred men and women who for years lived in just such sinful lifestyles as the ones I've tried to depict, but who now have been gloriously saved through believing the gospel which you ridicule. I will have these men and women with me on the platform as witnesses to the miraculous saving power of Jesus Christ and as a present day proof of the truth of the Bible. And at this, the atheist walked away for Ironside could produce 100 men and women transformed by the gospel, but the secular debater couldn't even provide one who had been changed by the philosophy. The gospel has power. Paul writes in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. We don't see our purpose because we expect so much from ourselves, we forget to tell ourselves the gospel. We see ourselves as having the power to change our heart instead of realizing how crazy it is that we've been saved. That we indeed were once dead in our sins, that God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, were made, we were made alive together with Christ. See, Paul never moved past this incredible grace. Every letter he wrote, he spends a good portion of the letter just recounting the insaneness of the gospel, of the fact that Jesus rescues sinners. 
If you and I, if we saw our salvation beating impossible odds, what impossible needs would we try to meet? We have strength in our source. We also have strength in our message. The gospel is power. In the opening greeting, Paul gives the message that he wants to impart the rest of the letter. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. There is such strength in that message of grace. Many of us think, whether we admit it or not, that there must be some breaking point where God says, all right, I'm out, where he gives up. I've told this story before, but it's just so good. I'm going to tell it again. My friend Justin Holcomb, uh, who's, a, who's an Episcopal uh, priest, uh, he tells a story about flooding his neighbor's uh, home when he was 10 years old. He, he says, um, our neighbors had moved, were trying had moved and were trying to sell their house. One day I broke in through the back door and I closed the drains and all the sinks and tubs and turned on all the faucets. Then I just sat and watched the water flood the entire house. I let the water run while I went home for dinner, returning a few hours later to turn it off. I knew what I had done was wrong. And I was even shocked that I had wanted to do something so destructive. When our neighbors found the damage the following day while showing the home to prospective buyers, they came to our house and asked my family if, if we had seen anyone around their place recently. So on top of what I had already done, I lied to my neighbors and parents. I felt completely messed up. I was destroying stuff for the sake of destroying and then lying blatantly to everyone. I had heard about asking God's forgiveness. My dad had taught me the Lord's prayer, so I begged God to forgive me. I was so worried that he wouldn't. Surely something so deliberate and cruel was just too much to forgive. After a month with an uneasy conscience, I was finally found out. Another neighbor had seen me sneaking around and told my parents. So my father called me in from playing outside with my friends and asked me if I remembered anything important about the flooding incident. I knew that something was up, but I felt I had to stick to the lie at this point. Finally, my dad told me that I was busted. I experienced an overwhelming sense of shame and guilt for my sins, as well as an intense fear of the consequences. I sobbed and muttered, Dad, I'm so sorry. I've been asking God to forgive me for so long, and I don't know if he ever will. In a moment of parental love and great wisdom, my dad said, oh, if you ask God to forgive you, you're forgiven. You deserve to be punished, and this is gonna cost a whole lot of money to fix but son, you're forgiven. Go back outside and play. In that moment, Justin says, the reality of forgiveness and gratuitous grace powerfully moved him. So that now whenever he confesses his sins, he thinks of that experience of absolution. And he says, my dad didn't take grace too far. He said, my dad saw my misunderstanding. He saw my fear of God's wrath. He, he, he saw my, my holding on to a false gospel and, and that that was crushing me. And so my dad took on the consequences of my sin and literally paid them for me. So instead of experiencing his fears unfold, he knew he was safe with his dad and that he finally understood what it meant to be loved unconditionally. God loves us the same way. His grace is always gratuitous. That's the only kind of grace there is. 
It's the grace that changed Paul's life. And Paul will spend the rest of this letter and every other letter he writes to the church speaking of this amazing grace, this grace that is so ridiculous, a grace that is not only our hope, but brings us incredible peace. Every time Paul writes grace and peace, it's not just a greeting. He believes it. Because Paul knows this kind of grace, he understands peace. He knows that human weakness or sin is not the end of the story, that God is at work and he uses us sometimes, oftentimes, in spite of us. That's what my friend was trying to remind me at dinner last week as I was beating myself up about work and parenting. See, the personal peace that that grace provides us that grace provides knowing that God is not holding our sin against us. It's what provides us the hidden power source to keep us working even when it seems like we're facing impossible odds. If I believe grace, then I can, I can risk. I can keep fighting even when it seems like nothing is being accomplished. I'm doing a couch to 5K with two of my kids, um, Alice and Atticus. And if you've ever um, done it before, you know it's a program that's supposed to get you to a place from uh, if you've never run in your life or if you're like me and you feel like hell is a treadmill with no guac, like it's supposed to make us be able to run a 5K and I think be happy about it um, because I absolutely hate running. But it's been kind of fun uh, getting up really early in the morning with Atticus and Alice um, and, uh, and this week, um, I was really struggling during the running sections, um, which uh, if you've ever done it before, the program's designed where you, where you walk a while, and then you run a while, and then you walk, and then you run. Um, the walking is amazing. I love the walking part, but the running part this week was, ex- was extremely hard uh, for me. And Atticus, my son, who, who normally during the running part just takes off, gets way ahead of us, um, and then he likes to, when we start to walk, to turn around and walk back and catch up with us, who he's left in the dust. Uh, but this week, uh, during the running part, um, without me asking to, uh, he just stayed right beside me. And, and as I was running, all of a sudden, I just felt this hand on my back. Um, and it was him. And he was just kind of slightly pushing me. As I got slower, he pushed a little bit harder. And he just kept his hand there every time we ran. That slight and steady push against my back, y'all, it made it a lot easier to run. In a sense, there was a weight lifted during those running sections. The writer of Hebrews says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. See, the gospel is a person The gospel is Jesus. There is strength in our message because our message is a person. It's a person who promises that he'll be right next to us the whole time, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. When you and I, when we remember the gospel, it's like a slight and steady push against our back as we run towards what seems like an impossible mission. So when was the last time you were reminded of the gospel? That not only does Jesus see you and me and our weaknesses, not only does he see all our sin, but he also knows how slowly we run. And he still says, I want you. And I'll do whatever it takes to get you, even if it means dying for you. And then he says, I have a plan to save the whole world. 
will you join me? What grace. Let's pray. Father God, um, I thank you for my son. I thank you for uh, the way in which I was reminded of the gospel uh, through him. I thank you for your word and the way in which uh, as we read your word, we are reminded of the truth that you indeed are a God who loves us unconditionally, that at the heart of, of who you are is grace and at the heart of how you've called us to live is grace. So Father, I pray that, that we as a church family would so understand and see and fall in love with that message that we can't help but find everyone we can and say, hey, can I, can I read you something? Can I tell you something? Father, may your gospel be the thing that fuels us as we try to live out the calling you've placed on us. Give us boldness in our running. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.